Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Three Kings by guest speaker Rob Wilson. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity we have as a church, as a, as a group of people to come into your presence. But we ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit presence be here with each and every one of us. And uh, Lord, we just commit this service to you. Give us ears to hear. Excuse me, give us ears to hear what you are saying now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, I would like to, if you, is anyone here for the first time, I'd love to welcome you. We will have a free cup of coffee out the back if you, if you drink coffee, uh, for those who are new. So, uh, please make sure you take um, advantage of that. And, uh, and so, uh, please, um, if you, you know, if you see someone you don't know, get around and have a chat and get to know them. That'd be awesome. I'd also like to give a very special welcome back to my beautiful daughter, Chloe, who came back on Sunday night last week. After being in Perth for the year, she's got to go back for another couple of years. Imagine what it's like. She, she turned 19 in January and then moved straight away to Perth, the other side of the country, during a pandemic. She had three weeks in, in lockdown, the first three weeks in this new state. As you will have known from the news, WA is far more rigid than anywhere else in Australia in terms of their border. And, and Chloe, I'll, I'll, if you don't mind me sharing, Chloe has shared herself, her own story, that she's had some issues with anxiety. And so to move all the way there during a pandemic, do you know that in every single assessment she's done, she has not got less than a high distinction all year? I reckon that is amazing. So I just want to honour you for your dedication and your work. The other thing that's amazing, the church she goes to in, in Perth, Nations Church, has got a campus in Cambodia where Chloe has her heart's desire to serve when she graduates from her studies. And because of COVID, the pastor from the Phnom Penh Church is in Perth at the moment, and she's been able to volunteer with them and to, you know, build connections. So God has really used that opportunity, and so I'm really excited for you. Really, really great to have you back for summer, but super proud of you and, and the opportunities that God has opened up your way. So that's that's awesome. Um, Look, uh, if you go around the shops at the moment, we've, we've hit December, you'll see that there's Christmas stuff everywhere. Now, when I was a kid, I remember my birthday's late September, and I remember a couple of days after my birthday one time, I went to the shops. I tried to go to the shops very, very infrequently, like, but, but I went there and they were playing Christmas carols and it was still September. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, like, you're going to be bored of them for sure by the time. But I've noticed in, the, in recent years that October they're, they're hammering the Halloween. Uh, now, November, they're doing the Black Friday and the Cyber Monday and all that sort of stuff. All these retailers are trying to find other ways to, um, I was going to say rip us off, but make a buck, you know. And, uh, and uh, so finally, now that we're in December, you, you see Christmas stuff. But if you were to go to the shops to try and understand what Christmas is about, thank you, I need water. <laughs> I'm dry. Already. Mm. And I love the... Uh, Karen chose those songs this morning and then injured her back and Stewie jumped in and uh, led and the ladies who, who led so well. Absolutely love those songs. And I wasn't going to sing, but I sang a little bit too much and dried my, my uh, throat out. But... Uh, you know, that was awesome. So uh, thank you for, for everyone who was involved in that. Um, but yeah, you'll notice if you, if you go around the shops, the impression you'll get of, of Christmas is, what, Santa Claus, tinsel, trees, lights. You know, it's almost no mention of Jesus. So uh, now that we're in December, we're here. You're in church. 
we're going to be keeping the focus on Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. And, uh, and so, you know, today, um, I've called my message Three Kings. But I'm just saying it's not the, the we three kings of Orient are that I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about other uh, three kings. And I'm not also inventing a whole new bit of history from the Jewish people. I'm not doing, you know, one kings, two kings, now three kings. I'm not inventing new, <laughs> new history. Um, but I'm, I'm actually just going to be sharing about three of the biblical kings and some of the things that we can learn about from their life and apply to our life. Um, and, uh, and and see what we can learn. There's some uh, fantastic lessons that we can learn. And one of the things I really like to do when I when I share is to do a bit of a flyover, a bit of a uh, big picture look at, at things, because quite often when we read, we might read uh, a, a chapter or a passage or something, and, and, and you can sometimes miss the context. And I really think it's important when we when we study the Bible to to look at the context of, uh, of you know, what the passages are coming from. And, and so today I'm going to do a fair bit of a flyover when, as I look at the, uh, the three kings, if, you, if you'll allow me to do that. So the first king that I'd like to look at today is indeed Israel's first king, King Saul. So before we get to that, I want to uh, paint the picture, set the scene. See, before Israel had a king, it had a series of tribal leaders called Judges. Um, so you, you remember that um, Moses led the people out of Egypt. They were uh, under um, slavery in Egypt and Moses led the people out of Egypt. And it got to a point where they're in the wilderness for 40 years and the people were grumbling and, and complaining and everything. And he spoke to his father-in-law Jethro, said, you know, I've got all these complaints and everything going on. I mean, we know that he should have just sent an email to the complaints department, liz at the rock.org.au. She'd have sorted it out. And by the way, I'm not trying to suggest that you were in, at, you know, at that stage old enough to have been able to deal with that responsibility. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, but uh, no. <laughs> Whoops. Um, I tell you, paying out on Pastor Sean, no problem, but paying out on Pastor Liz, oh, you've got to tread carefully. <laughs> but uh, no. Anyway, he, he, you know, um, Jethro, his father-in-law, said, you know, set up a, a whole series of structure that, uh, to people to help judge and to deal with the complaints and everything. And then what we see as you go through, um, Joshua led the people into the promised land, and uh, and during the time of uh, of Joshua, they were they were to some degree uh, capturing the the promised land, but they didn't do it fully. Um, but then, as Joshua and his generation passed away that uh, the knowledge of God um, died away with them. And so you see this whole series through the book of Judges of, of Israel going through this repeated pattern. Um, and so it's, for me, that's actually one of the reasons why I believe it's incredibly important to invest into our next generation. And we've got the, the, uh, these amazing young adults sitting up here in the front. And uh, I'm going to say last Sunday night, we had a wonderful night, didn't we, ladies? It was an awesome night for the ladies who come in. Now, some of you may not look at me going, what? You know, because Pastor Sean, you might remember if you were here last week, said, men, if you want to come on Sunday night, the ladies will be here, but you have to shave your legs and wear a dress. You remember him saying that? We had a few brave guys turn up, didn't we, guys? <laughs> so the young adults um, came and served. Now, they didn't shave their legs and wear a dress, but they did come and serve so admirably and did an incredible job serving the ladies. And it was such an awesome time. So... I want to say well done. I was so proud of the guys who came and served. And, uh, and we're really honouring to the ladies who, who do so much for us. And, and we all know that. You, 
you, you ladies are fantastic. And so, but it was really good that we, we need to invest into the next generation because, as, as we found out from, if you look at the history of Israel, every time somebody died off, the next generation, they, they died off with it and the knowledge of God died off with it. And so we need to continue to invest into our future generations, growing within them their, their knowledge and, and relationship with God. So, so back uh, when the Joshua generation died off, the Israelites began worshipping other gods. And so the Lord handed them over to their enemies and used the surrounding nations to test them, seeing whether they'd walk in his ways as their ancestors did. It says that in Judges 2.22. So then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. That's Judges 2.16. Every time a judge died, Israel went stray again, returning to sinful practices and idolatry. There was this constant cycle of sin and deliverance. Israel rebels. God disciplines them, Israel repents, God delivers them. And so we get to Samuel, who was considered the last of the judges. And uh, it was actually the fact that he was trying, he was in the process of trying to appoint his sons, um, who weren't following in his ways as judges, that led to uh, Israel asking, that the uh, elders of, of the tribes of Israel asking for a king. If you want to look at 1 Samuel 8, 1 to 9, Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which uh, which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behaviour of the king who will reign over them. You see, the first problem was that Israel rejected God as their king. And the second problem was that they wanted to be just like all the other nations around them. Dare I say that sounds a lot like our modern society. And in fact, it sounds like aspects of the modern church. Complaints to Liz at The Rock. But uh, see, certainly many people in our society completely reject God. In fact, ridicule the notion of God um, quite frequently. But even in the church, there are denominations around the world. And in fact, even in our, our own city where the basic teachings of the Bible are, being, are no longer being taught, are not being... Uh, I've had a conversation with a local minister in Redlands, who doesn't believe in the resurrection, who doesn't believe in the virgin birth, basic teachings of the Bible that they've rejected. And, and so, you know, around the world we see this, this uh, you know, devolution of, of, of godly uh, understanding. Um, see, uh, you know, it, there's, there's a problem that we have 
that people have rejected God. Our society certainly rejected God. I think it's actually fair enough in the sense that the Israelites at the time didn't want the sons of Samuel to be judges over them um, because they were corrupt men. They were not following in the ways of the Lord. And so in, in that sense, there was a, their justification for why they wanted to have a king was a legitimate concern, but their response was to reject God and, and his leadership over them. Um, so, you know, you might say, why, why was it wrong that they wanted to have a king? So the Lord was to be the ruler of Israel. God had led the people, as I said, through Moses and Aaron, through the priests and judges. He'd raised them up to govern the people. Uh, but because of Samuel's time, Samuel was basically the only one in his time who was hearing from the Lord. And, and his, because his sons weren't following in his ways, they were worried of, of which direction they were going. And so their request for a king was a rejection of God's way of leadership over them. And, and as I said, it's another reason why it was wrong for them to ask for a king is that the Israelites did it in order to be just like everyone else around them, or just like all the other nations. God had created Israel as a, as a unique people. He was their leader. When the Israelites wanted a king like the other nations they had, they were rejecting their unique set-apart position as God's people, the nation whose God was to be the, Lord's alone, uh, the Lord alone and uh, became envious of the nations who were following false gods. See, interestingly, God had already predicted, and, uh, and we can read about it in several passages earlier in the Bible, that, that the Israelites would one day reject him and would ask for a king. So it says in Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 15, uh, God said, When you enter the land that the Lord your God has given you and taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a, a king the Lord your God chooses. So God had obviously foreknowledge that that was exactly what they were going to do. In fact, other uh, passages predicted that Israel would uh, one day ask for a king. For example, God promised Jacob a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be amongst your descendants. Um, so there's references in Genesis and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy of, of the idea that the Israelites would be one day asking for a king. So we get to the choosing of Saul as king. See, God's first choice... To be king is Saul. And there's about a thousand years before, a bit over a thousand years before Christ came along, um, Saul was chosen as king. And, and he was someone who looked the part. It said that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. And, and so when he was chosen, the, the people went, whoa, yeah, we want this guy to be our king. He was tall, he was strong, he was physically, says he was handsome, he was a good looking guy, big, fit, strong, athletic looking guy. And so they were really pleased to have him appointed as their king. He looked like the sort of person they wanted to be their leader. And in fact, originally, um, he, he seemed like he was going to do pretty good. He won mil uh, military battles, the main reason for having a king in the first place. In the beginning, he served faithfully, but he quickly became disobedient to God. He became arrogant with his people. And both Samuel and God became exasperated with him and began looking for his replacement. See, the, the, the people got what they asked for, um, but, but unfortunately they got someone who was, you know, militaristic, charismatic. Uh, he was into himself, but he, he didn't remain faithful to God. Um, as I said, he was willingly accepted by the people because he looked the part. He, he had that strong physical appearance. Just like today, you know, studies show that people who are considered attractive get 
many more opportunities than people who are considered less attractive. You can, you can read studies around that. Um, if two people of equal ability and, and uh, you know, very similar qualifications go for a job interview, it's almost certain the better-looking one will get the job if everything else is about equal, right? And, and people who are better-looking, according to studies, get promoted faster. They tend to earn more money. Okay, now, the guys got to hear from Tony yesterday. I just want to say at this point, it, the fact that you become well-off doesn't automatically mean you're good-looking. Am I right? <laughs> and, and Tony's not here today, and I wasn't referring to him. I was thinking, of course, about people like Rupert Murdoch or Kerry Packer or something like that. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, it doesn't always uh, go to show that because you are well-off that you're good-looking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's right. People who are, you know, but they, they looked at him and went, wow, we want this guy to be our king. This guy looks the part. Okay, and, and our society today, we do the same thing. We look on the outside of people. And we often make judgments about people because of the physical appearance or the, or the outside, the charisma that they show or something like that where, is the things that we're looking for, yet God looks on the heart. So lucky for us, God looks on the heart, I dare say. Um, uh, lucky for me, that's for sure. <laughs> um, anyway, look, uh, Israel got the king they wanted, but how did it work out? Saul's gone down in history as an ineffective king, as a poor leader. But what was his sin? What was it that led to his downfall? King Saul had four main problems that caused his downfall. Pride, the fear of man, envy, and an evil spirit from the Lord. Now, that's a whole new sort of sermon even in itself for some of the challenges some people's theology, I dare say. But three of the problems were his, and the fourth was given to him by the Lord as a result of the first three. So Saul was told to completely destroy the Amalekites and all their possessions as God has commanded. Obedience was a key part of the conditional covenant between God and Israel. He was told to do that, but he didn't do that. When uh, when Samuel confronted him about his disobedience, Saul's response was that he became defensive and he justified his actions. He lied to himself, he lied to Samuel that he'd been, he actually he said, I had been obedient, I did do the right thing. He showed that he was afraid of the people and he let them do what they wanted. See, we think of Saul as being a poor king, but if you think about it, his response to sin, I reckon, is very familiar. In our culture, these types of responses are very common. Jewish relationships researcher Dr John Gottman who has studied thousands and thousands of, of married couples um, in, a, in a lab um, they literally have set up a little um, like a, a, a like a B&B room that they you know the couples come into and they um, take their conversations and stuff like that he studied these conversations over decades and he describes defensiveness one of Saul's main uh, responses to Samuel as, as one of the four behaviors that ruin relationships the other ones being criticism, contempt and stonewalling. Dr Gottman's research looks at the types of positive and negative interactions that occur in relationships and found that not all negative interactions are equally corrosive, um, but that defensiveness is, uh, is one of those ones that can really destroy a relationship. Um, and in fact, it can lead to complete relationship breakdown. And in Saul's case, his defensiveness, his justifying of his actions, his blaming others... It was very damaging to his relationship with God and with Samuel. 
Whereas once he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied amongst the prophets, he found that God rejected him as king. See, Gottman says the antidote to defensiveness is to take responsibility. And that leads me to the next of our kings, which is King David. So even while Saul was still king, Samuel went looking for his successor. He eventually found David out on his father's property, uh, working with the sheep. Um, you know, even, even David's own father, Jesse, didn't think of him as potential king because he got all the older brothers out there first and then it was sort of like an afterthought, oh yeah, the young fellow's out there with the sheep. And, and yet uh, he was the one that God anointed to, to be the king. Um, now, one of the most famous uh, aspects you know, that we know about David was David and Goliath. When you think about the context of that, right? Saul was king. What do we know about Saul? Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. And, and that was one of the reasons why they really were attracted to him as king. And here you have Goliath, this giant of a man, cursing and accusing Israel and, and taunting them. And, and what was Saul's response? Nothing. Right? The leader that they'd chosen, they go, here's this guy. He was physically the best specimen of the Israelites. He was their leader, the one they'd chosen. And then the taunting of the, of the giant on, from the Philistines, where was he? He was standing there, but he was absent. You know, We know that David came along and they said when he put Saul's gear on him, he couldn't wear his uh, you know, armour protection. It was too heavy for him to carry. So Saul was a big, strong, physically fit guy. He was the guy who should have stood up to Goliath. He was the one who God had called to be the king. Right? Had he have been in the right uh, heart and mind, he would have been the right person to have done it and history would have been different. But but the one who had the physical attributes and had the leadership mantle was nowhere to be found when the challenge came. Along come David. Now, David had a very strong understanding of that old saying, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Or in David's case, it's the size of the God in the fight. Because right? he, he didn't care about how big the other guy was. He was absolutely cheesed off that his God was being picked on. And he said, mate, you know, and we know that what happened is, you know, picked up the stone, hit him dead and then used um, Goliath's own sword to, you know, sever his head. I'm not going to, anyway. And, and, and David did what I reckon Saul should have done and, and took on that fight, right? And, and uh, you know, so when you think about that, the physical attributes of, of, of Saul and yet how it, it, it did nothing when the, when the time came. Uh, but interestingly, David, like Saul, was far from perfect. And in fact, I mean, he made some really, really bad uh, decisions in his life, some really, really bad errors of judgment. And if you look at it from a human perspective, if you line up what Saul did wrong compared to what David did wrong, you know, in, in our society, Saul, for some people, would be a bit of a hero that he didn't do everything that God had asked him to do and, and allowed uh, you know, the animals and the spoils to be amongst his, uh, distributed amongst the, the people, etc. Um, whereas what David did, as, as we know, um, if, if you don't know the story, David, uh, the main thing that we know about him doing really bad was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who um, it says David was home in the spring when the, the battles were out fighting. Now, firstly, that's the problem, David being home when his, his men are out fighting. Um, but secondly, he's, he's, you know, walking around on the top of his palace. He spies Bathsheba taking a bath on the top of her building. 
Okay, and and then it says that he noticed that she was beautiful. Now I reckon the first glance wasn't a sin. Right, he looked over, spotted her. That's not a sin. The fact that he noticed she was beautiful, that I reckon that means he was staring. He'd gone back for another another look, an extended look, and a, you know whatever. So, and then he, in, he inquired, "Who is this?" Another alarm bell. Oh, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah the Hittite was well known to David. Uriah the Hittite is listed as one of David's mighty men of valor, one of the 30. He was an incredible warrior, an incredible fighter, a man of great integrity. So the alarm bell should have been ringing to, okay, I'm going to leave her alone, but no, invites her over, not for a coffee. Um, and, And when she becomes pregnant... Um, what does he do? He gets Uriah to come back, tries to get him to trick him into the fact that maybe the child's going to be Uriah's. And, get, and Uriah had far too much integrity. There's no way I'm going to be with my wife tonight because my men are out there in battle. I'm going to stay outside. And and then the next day, I'm gonna, David gets him drunk and tries to, to do it. And even in his inebriated state, Uriah still had far more integrity. I am not going to go in with my wife. And he went out. And so what did David do? Conspiracy to murder. You know, put him on the front line in the fears of the battle, withdraw everyone else, let him die so that David was covering his own sin. When you compare what Saul did wrong and what David did wrong, in human terms, there's no comparison. David was a very flawed man. And yet, Saul we look at as a... Uh, an ineffective leader, and David had a heart after God's own heart. And the big difference was that when David was confronted with his sin by Nathan the prophet, his response was complete and total repentance. Came to his knees, and, and we now know from Psalm 51 that beautiful words that he, that he wrote as in, in our repentance, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. You know, Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You know, a beautiful song that we uh, used to sing about that um, and, and just some beautiful words that he wrote in complete and total repentance. Own your situation. Take responsibility. I, I believe that God wants to see people set free um, today. And uh, you know, it says in, in James 5.16, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another and you shall be healed. Notice that it doesn't say, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, and you will be forgiven. Right? You don't need to confess your sins to one another to be forgiven. If, if you've got a problem with sin and God brings that into your heart, you can deal with that with him straight away. He will forgive you. Right? But for some people, you hold on to something for so long and you're worried about people finding out and it starts to destroy and, and, and cause physical illness. Uh, injury, a, a problem, and you need to get along somewhere. We've got people like like Pastor Terry, Pastor Liz, come and share with them, and they will pray with you and journey with you, help you, hold you, hold you to account, and you'll find the re- freedom and release that comes from that. You know, the, the old saying, a, a problem shared is a problem halved, and and people when they when they finally let go of something that they've held on, they've been worried about people knowing about them, and they finally release it. They say. They, feel lighter, feel so much better. And, and so if you're holding on to something that you're worried about what people think, let go. Right? You can deal with the forgiveness with God, but you need to deal 
with finding someone that you can journey with, someone you can trust who will journey with you to release that. Um, it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much at the end of that passage. There's so, much, there's so many scriptures that talk about the relationship between uh, the physical body and, and, and emotional stuff and, and uh, uh, you know, the benefit. Like uh, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Um, you know, when, when God does his work in your life, spiritually, there can be an incredible physical benefit that comes from that. And uh, uh, you know, so often even the research that, that we find uh, medically shows the same thing, that people who, who have joy and laughter, the, you know, your body's filled with the, the right sort of chemicals instead of the, the negative chemicals that come when we're under stress and anxiety and everything. Literally, the body is designed by God to, to operate in that way. And so you know, we need that freedom and release, and it will actually bring healing and wholeness as well. And so finally, Sam, I'm going to come to King Jesus. See, for the Jewish leaders in the time of, of Jesus, he was an unexpected king. They, didn't, they weren't looking for the way Jesus was. The Jewish leaders, the, the, um, uh, you know, who were the ones who ended up uh, trying to get him on the cross, you know, they, they were, uh, when they were thinking about the coming king, they were thinking about someone who would, who would help them to uh, you know, defeat the Roman uh, Empire and that sort of thing. They were thinking of a militaristic kind of a king. Um, but Jesus came along not as a warrior but as a humble servant king. And we often say that uh, his kingdom was an upside-down kingdom and... Uh, that you know, because he taught in a way so different to what they were used to hearing. He says, "If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. You know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up." He said that you know, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So often, the things that Jesus taught were so contrary to the ways of the world and what everyone else was thinking. Jesus came and changed the way people think. Now, I've been sharing about the, the sin of Saul and the sin of David. And then and you go, well, we know that Jesus was without sin. He didn't sin. He was sin-free. He was, in fact, the sin-free once and for all sacrifice that paved the way for all humanity to come into relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. Hallelujah. But Jesus was accused of sin. When Jesus taught the way he taught, those who were in power were so offended by him that they wanted to kill him. They absolutely hated the fact that he was sharing the way he was. Notice that when Saul was accused, he got defensive. But he was rightly accused of sin and he got defensive. He justified his behaviour. He did all those sorts of things. He, He blamed other people. The sort of response we see from so many people today, particularly, dare I say, politicians. <laughs> um, I did. Thank you. David was accused of sin, rightly, and he fully repented. He accepted responsibility for his actions and, and he changed his future. He had a heart after God's own heart. And, and God loves a broken and contrite spirit. He loves it when we come to that place of repentance and fully give over to him and, and, and turn away from our sin. Jesus was accused of sin and he followed the will of the Father to allow 
the events to lead him to the cross. He knew what was going to happen. See, it wasn't the uh, the leaders of the time who, who hated what Jesus was saying, hated that he was taking away their power that actually led Jesus to the cross. It wasn't none of that. It was the love of the Father that led Jesus to the cross. It was his obedience to the Father. You know, it wasn't the false accusations. Jesus had the power. Had he wanted to, he could have easily demonstrated in another way that he was the Son of God. But he knew that the will of the Father was that he needed to die on the cross for all of us. It wasn't the Sanhedrin. It wasn't Pontius Pilate. It wasn't the crowds. It was the will of the Father. See, those who wanted to kill Jesus, they had plenty of opportunity to kill him earlier on in his ministry. And Jesus would say, now is not my time. He would actually tell them many times, this is what's going to happen, and, and but now is not my time. He knew all along when it was going to happen. He, he, he knew when he was going to be betrayed. He knew the whole, you know, he, he was well aware of everything that was happening. Um, but there was always a way out. In John 7.30, it said, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. In John 8.59, it says, Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They're so enraged, they got stones to kill him, and yet just went out through them. You know, he had the capacity to get away from them without any without any problem. John 10, 39, Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. John 11, 53, 54, there, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. Um, John eleven fifty seven. Now both the chief priests and Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. See, the authorities wanted to kill him, but Jesus was following the will of the Father. He was following the timeline. Now we know that it cost him everything. He said, you know, in his prayer, if there be another way, let it be, but your will, not mine, be done. You know, he followed the love of the Father to the cross. Falsely accused, yet the primary drive was the will of the Father because of his love for, for us, for, for everyone. Man. How different is it to you, to me, when we're accused of, of stuff? You know, most of the time, like I'm a teacher, I've worked in plenty of schools and I'll watch behaviour of kids and I'll call them out on their behaviour. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It was him. He, you know, and I've watched and I've seen the whole thing. And, and it's so common that we just, no, no, we, people don't want to take responsibility for where they're at. You know, Saul was accused and he denied responsibility for himself. He was defensive, he was blaming. David accepted responsibility and repented. And then Jesus went so much more. You know, no greater love is any man, but he laid down his life for a friend. Jesus came to lay down his life for each and every one of us. Jesus accept, accepted the will of the Father. He, he recepted, uh, accepted responsibility for all of our sins. As we head into December, as we head in towards the, this Christmas season, you know, can we please keep our focus on Jesus? But I, I believe today that God wants to set some people free. And, and if you've been walking 
through life and, and maybe you've been accused of stuff that you did and you've been a bit defensive about that and, and it's a common thing trying to justify you know half truths whatever you know, Saul did that and God rejected him God rejected his leadership mantle and went looking for another if God puts his finger on your heart about something that you need to change we need to be like David and be completely repentant take responsibility for what we did make a change make that transformation you know literally repentance is turning away from your sin heading in a different direction change your direction if God puts that uh, you know thought in your mind then, then please deal with it with him straight away but also, as I said, if, if you found you've got a problem and it's, and it's been um, on your mind, we've got some people here, our ministry team, who would love to share with you, to pray with you, and to, to walk with you through that season to see you into freedom and release and wholeness and healing. But the way, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. And, and so he... In, in, and I thank God for his obedience to the will of the Father, how much it must have cost him, how much, how much pain it would have been for him to go through those experiences. Yet he did that to provide the way for us. And, and if you don't know the, the redemption that comes through Christ, please, when, what we're going to do is have a moment soon. Close your eyes. If you want to come forward and you want some, our ministry team to minister, we'd love to be able to share with you. In a moment, I'll pray. And uh, if you want to come forward, that'd be absolutely awesome. And, and, and deal with God direct, or, or one of our team can come and pray with you. But let's just have that moment in His presence and allow Him to speak to your heart. Thank you, Lord. lives and the stories of these people that we can learn from them we can glean both from the good and the bad Lord that we can save ourselves so much pain by learning from other people's mistakes and we thank you Lord that we can learn those lessons I pray Father God for this group of people today Lord that if you are uh, that you would through your Holy Spirit uh, speak to each and every one of us and help us to deal with anything that we may have had that's held us back from being uh, growing closer to you and to moving on into your uh, will and your purposes, Lord. And we just uh, commit this day to you, Lord. We commit these people to you. We commit uh, our future as a, as a body to you, that you would uh, move in us and through us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.